you know from Finland, we, we have fairly low hierarchy and, and I'm kind of maybe an ultra case of this. The very fundamental thing you learn is that uh, life is not fair. So uh, you, you cannot program success even if everything would go right. You can anyhow end up in the wrong place. We are heading for an environment where you have to be much more pragmatic and philosophical at the same time. I, I think it, it's good also for the entrepreneurs knowing that it's a really high stakes game in this sense that there are many, many windows and they might be closing and opening a, a little bit unreasonably. Hello, Stefan. How's Helsinki? Well, Helsinki starts to liven up a little bit uh, here in the city center as well. Uh, most of the people have stayed in the in the suburbs during the last two months. But uh, actually today uh, you could see some other people, uh, which is a relief, I would say. You are in the epicenter of cultural disruption and change as well. Uh, there's a new museum in, in Helsinki, exactly in the middle of uh, Helsinki, next to the railway station, Amos Rex. What's the what's the story behind that one, and and you know why it's so successful that people are queuing for hours? Well, uh, queuing for hours is uh, uh, it's a good picture, and it has happened. Uh, it, it was the first exhibition that was particularly exciting for for uh, people in in all all ages. But I, I would say that uh, the there were at least three big reasons for for success. One was that the foundation I'm working for, Konstantin, that actually has had a museum since the early 60s. And uh, uh, the DNA of, of the team has always to be in the for, uh, to be in the forefront of, of modern art, uh, also in, in in the in the earlier earlier museum, uh, although it was kind of a slightly uh, less visible location and and, and slightly smaller. Uh, but the president of Finland was uh, at the at the opening of the earlier museum as well, so we have some pedigree. Uh, then. Uh, uh, with, with this came a, a lot of, of partnering also internationally, both with other museums, but also with, the, for instance, the city of Helsinki in terms of marketing. And uh, then we took uh, a lot of risk with the first exhibition and uh, tried to jump uh, to the future and, and managed actually to excite uh, uh, people in all generations. We were especially aggressive in, in convincing the different uh, school classes to come uh, come to us. And, and uh, the seven and eight-year-olds took their granddads and dads and moms uh, in the hand and, and uh, stood there in the queue with them uh, for, for two or three hours to, to so that also the parents would see this uh, uh, immersive digital Japanese art that we had as the first exhibition. Uh, I think there were a lot of things uh, that made made the success and uh, without the deep roots of 50 years, uh, it wouldn't have been possible. You mentioned Japan. You have a special relationship with Japan as well. 
you manage to do something which is considered rather hard for Westerners to do, do some successful business and, and really, you know, take a foothold in the market. Can you elaborate a bit what happened? Well, yeah, Japan, I, I would say uh, we did everything uh, not by the book, uh, but but in a, in a in, in a respecting manner uh, uh, towards uh, the the local business community and culture. So you could say that we were kind of disrupting uh, the elevator scene before that word was was really kind of popular. Uh, we were a young team and uh, we didn't understand how hard it was. Uh, I, I actually had an keynote speech also for a conference organized by the Economist Intelligence Unit in Tokyo, where uh, it was uh, myself and, and one guy from the US and one guy from the UK uh, describing how to enter the market in Japan. And I, I, I was last and I said that, well, we can't rely on, on our government's efforts on trade, so we just have to do the hard work. Uh, and uh, essentially, I would say that uh, doing it uh, kind of in a guerrilla way, so that you are, are constrained by, uh, in terms of resources, uh, show respect for, for the local customers, listen to them, but not too much. Uh, you can do it also in Japan. Uh, but, but it takes a lot of legwork. Uh, I, I think uh, I met with uh, a, a few thousand uh, real, real customers on job sites and listened to them uh, and, and, and kind of tried to, to understand how, how, we should, how we should work our way forward. But, but I would say also there, uh, it's not a, a question of a story of a lonely hero. Uh, Kone had uh, attempted to enter the market uh, for for almost 20 years, and and there was a substantial uh, network of, of contacts. Uh, there was a substantial network of goodwill, and we could also benefit from those. And there was an opportunity that the Japanese uh, government wanted to open up some field to show to the rest of the world that, that the Japanese market is opening up. Uh, to a certain extent, you could say that Finland was a, a ha harmless uh, partner to open up to. Elevators was a harmless field, and we happened to be there. So macro, we, we were in luck. We had a good network, and, and we, we were young enough to seize the opportunity. Uh, Probably, uh, I would have over overthought it uh, today, and we would have made made some maybe consultants rich, but not made the business. So, um, to a certain extent, inexperience can be a, a value as well. Do you recall any fun stories, hard stories? You know, things what happen. You know, if you, uh, there must be something happening if you meet so many people there and you knock on so many doors. Any particular moments you can recall? Uh, well, well, a maybe a general re reflection that, especially for a Finn, why not for a Westerner in general, we kind of think that it's good that 
that rules are clear and uh, that, um, for instance, contracts uh, are clear. It, it sounds like a reasonable idea. Why, why would you want to have unclear rules and unclear contracts? Uh, but in, in, in Japan, I understood uh, the value of ambiguity, uh, that the contract shouldn't be so clear that there isn't leeway to, to adjust for the particular situation with the particular people confronted with a particular problem, and that this ambiguity leads to people trying to find a, sol a solution rather than litigate or going back to the contract. Maybe uh, a kind of a black and white person would, would uh, have a very much difficulty with this, but I actually thought that there is quite a lot of value in ambiguity in, in this way, that it forces a, a, a amicable solution on the spot uh, with the facts at hand and not a kind of theoretical fight in the courthouse. You started your business career by going to Karhu Titan, Finnish company, sports goods company, and you were in the turnaround team. How did you end up immediately in the middle of a turnaround team, you know, while doing your thesis? Uh, well, there was a very young managing director at Karhu who went there to make the turnaround. And uh, when he interviewed me, uh, he thought that he had a, a working capital problem. And I had made a, a successful working capital project at, at Nokia Cables. And... and, and uh, a mutual acquaintance had, had kind of recommended me. Uh, so he thought he had a, a working capital problem and that I was the guy to, to come and help him with that. I thought he worked at Amer Group, which was a brand, big brand company, and he didn't tell me that he was going to work for, for Karhu Titan. So I read in the newspaper <laughs> uh, that, that the guy who had just employed me for a working capital problem in Amar was going to Karhu Titan, so I thought that, well, that was that summer. Uh, but I called him and asked that this is a little bit unusual. He said, no, 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 no. It was always the idea that you would come with me to this company. I said, okay, you could have told me. Uh, but, well, he said he was a little bit afraid I would say no if he would immediately tell what was the, what was the situation. So uh, anyhow, we looked at the situation and, and there were all kinds of problems in Karhutetan. Uh, the working capital issue was the least of them. So um, uh, after a few weeks, I got a new new assignment and, and I asked him, what, what should I put put in, in my title? And he said, glue. We are, going to, <laughs> we, we, we are going to have at least 20 projects and I need you to be the glue. Uh, that that keeps everything together. So I was some kind of what what nowadays would be called a transformation office or something like that. But uh, uh, there were a lot of uh, impressive consultants ru running around doing stuff, uh, and uh, and uh, I, I was in the middle of it. There, it was maybe not the perfect uh, job uh, to to do the uh, thesis because I had to do the thesis then by night. Uh, after work, but uh, it was a very interesting time. So, Stefan, the super clue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you you didn't get rid of turnarounds by just going to Karhu. They followed you 
in many companies, publicly listed in VCs and probably some other ones as well. Is that something you enjoy or is it just something that happens to you? Uh, well, uh, life happens. So I, I, I haven't kind of sought, sought uh, turnarounds as such, but I'm a little bit easily bored if it's just a situation where you should increase productivity by 2% from last year and and manage the operations uh, uh, going concern. That's not really me. Then uh, I, I would rather build than uh, do the kind of more messy part of, of turnarounds, but uh, usually you, you are... You are not afforded the the, the kind of uh, luxury of just having the good part. So yeah, if it's change, it's change. Uh, if it's more positive, it it's a, a much nicer job. I don't particularly enjoy uh, going through cost cutting exercises. Well, we are in the middle of a corona and probably soon post corona uh, in in some sense at least uh, in in business wise. Uh, what's the advice you can give to those who are looking at you know their companies and, and they think what should what should I do you know should I do some drastic things what are my options and, and you know you've been there you've seen it from the owner's perspective and are looking at your portfolio you know what what advice can you give I think it always pays whether it's a startup or it's it's an established company and, and there is a, a disruption like, like this. Uh, I think it pays to think what would be a really good company in the environment we are going into. And, and when, when you have a kind of picture, what would be a, a really good company, then you think what is the bridge from where we are now to this kind of a good company. Uh, many people start kind of th- thinking that uh, what, what should we take away or where should we cut and, and so on. I think uh, then you lose hope. So so you have to have the kind of a, a, a positive goal. Uh, the, the road there might not be so enjoyable, but the only way to... Uh, keep the spirit and, and also engage people is to, to kind of say that, well, we, we are heading for this uh, and, and it, it's, it's a good place. Uh, that would be my, my kind of, the, the only advice I can give in this. Uh, cutting for cutting's sake is usually not a, a very uh, good exercise for the owners or, or for anybody else. What makes you happy? But I'm a very curious person, so uh, I usually uh, enjoy kind of insights that there are some surprising uh, uh, small factoid that that kind of completes the the puzzle, and you kind of see the world from from a, from a different perspective. It, it can be a kind of a feeling or it can be a, a, a small kind of obscure fact that, that, well, this completed the puzzle. Now I somehow understand the, the world better. So 
I, I'm always on the on the hunt for uh, slightly exotic history books, uh, looking at some local history or something like that. Uh, and uh, I enjoy when when I come up with the, with this feeling of of, of, of at least having a, a puzzle uh, that is completed for the moment. Then uh, w- the world takes care of, it, of that. It kind of is is. Uh, it's not so complete the next day, but but at least for an evening it could be good. How do you define success? Well, for for me, success is a, a collective feeling that many people together, uh, I as part part of, of of the team, have achieved something that makes the world a slightly better place at least for for a while you've been leading different companies you've been in the banking you've been in the insurance uh, you've been in, in the in the pension funds also doing startups uh, in the financial field and now in a third sector running a, a large foundation are there differences in culture and ways companies are manage and, and how they can drive and be successful, you know, depending on the sectors. Are all they basically all the same? It's just just a matter, you know, what type of values you have and, and what type of people you have. Some of the parts are the same. I mean, uh, people are people. Uh, systems are unfortunately systems. I mean, IT. Uh, capital is capital. Uh, so there are many familiar things in any operation and there i would say that for for a generalist as me maybe maybe seeing the familiar parts is is one thing uh, but but i would say that uh, the second we we already a little bit discussed i, I think understanding the roots and the past uh, is something that is done maybe too little in uh, commercial companies and 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 understanding the driving forces through the histories is much more important in the in the third sector as you are not compensating so much with with money you are you are kind of uh, asking people to work for a good cause and there i th- i think maybe uh, at least here in the nordics uh, the values of young people have have more in common with third sector work in this way than, than let's say, a, 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 a ultra-liberal commercial company or a very transactional company. To get uh, the most out of your team, I, I think there are many things that are anyhow, anyhow the same. Uh, I, I would even say that if you really want to simplify management to to two things you can almost say that it's what you learned uh, at home you say thank you and you say hi <laughs> uh, and uh, if if you if, if you want to theorize a little bit about that uh, uh, people cannot perform if they feel unrecognized so so the easiest way to to get productivity low is to look through people and don't even greet them. Uh, that's uh, especially if you work with your head, 
and that will certainly take down productivity for for a number of hours uh, and you don't really feel like coming to work to a place where people don't even say hi so it, it's a very fundamental thing uh, in the thank you part of, of managing is is also being able to to change people's behavior by also giving the bad news, corrective uh, feedback. Uh, and um, people can't take corrective feedback if they don't get also positive feedback. I've read a few studies in, in the pension world. We studied this quite a lot. Uh, on, on what makes efficiency in the workplace. And the, you have to have roughly 80% positive feedback in order to get the 20% corrective feedback through. Now, you can't do it in, in such a way that you say, thank you, thank you, thank you. And now for... <laughs> for <laughs> uh, so, so the only way actually is to, to constantly thank people for, for their good work because for the most part, people do good work. And if you do this, uh, the, the times you have a kind of other types of feedback, uh, you, you have enough uh, goodwill there uh, so that people will actually listen and uh, can take in also the, the negative uh, feedback and, and maybe think about it and, and, and correct their ways. How do you do that in practice when you're running a large uh, company or organization and there's so many people there, you probably cannot even uh, you know, have, remember all the people's names and, and how does, does that happen in you know, reality? Uh, well, you, you, can, you can do it in, in many ways. I mean, uh, I, I have, uh, in the bigger organizations, I used to have a, uh, a kind of personal, a small blog uh, on the internet it wasn't, it wasn't uh, kind of uh, ghost written by, by some, somebody and, and not even spell checked. Uh, although I am, I'm dyslexic, I, I, I thought that it's better that it kind of is obvious that it's me who has written this with, with all, all the, all the <laughs> faults. There. And uh, just uh, a little bit commenting on, on, on uh, everyday things. Also, business. Uh, remembering to to just say hi. If, if if you have nothing else to say, you can you can thank people. It's usually not not wasted. I notice you've been quite active also in the LinkedIn, uh, commenting on the you know Amos Rex, you know exhibitions and what's happening. And some years back, you were I think you had a project where you were. You were writing a journal or something. Was it blog posts daily? That was probably related to your birthday or, you know. Yeah, so. yeah. What did you learn from those? <laughs> well, I, 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 people react uh, differently, but most people uh, kind of think it's a neutral or, or a positive that you share uh, some thoughts. And uh, maybe it makes you, as, as a kind of a manager, more approachable. That uh, that it doesn't feel so so, so distant. And uh, I, I at least felt the difference uh, by that that people clearly 
kind of uh, had a had a lower hurdle and to come and speak. And I think that's a value in itself. And uh, in that that sense, also this uh, being a little bit vulnerable. Um, maybe when you're younger, you would have more trouble with it. But uh, I, I think that vulnerability is also a kind of a, a a good thing to a certain extent. That that you are not some mythical. Uh, superhero somewhere you're, you're a human being and and, and uh, people can speak with you what was unexpected or wish you knew before you started in, in in some roles you know when you were new in a ceo position you can pick the you know the whichever place in your you know career and it was like you, you were fresh in that position and then what happened later was like completely out of place it was like whoopsie you know <laughs> Well, I, I would say, uh, being from from Finland, and I have I worked uh, in Sweden a, a little bit also. So, uh, working with very hierarchical uh, cultures has been difficult in that sense that you uh, it's it's both difficult uh, difficult uh, to work with people who feel that they are very much above you, and it's also very, very difficult to. Uh, work with people that think they are very much below you. Uh, you know, from Finland, we we have fairly low hierarchy, and and uh, I, I, I'm I'm kind of maybe a ultra case of, of, of this. I I have very diffi- much difficulty seeing uh, kind of things through this uh, hierarchical lens. Uh, it doesn't work for me. So. Uh, I would say when when I had this very small team in in the beginning in in Japan, and uh, I I kind of uh, came in the spring, and uh, there was a decision to be made where we should have the uh, cherry blossom party of of the company. Uh, well, having lived there for for maybe a, a month, I, I thought it's a little bit odd that I would be the one picking the park since everybody else has been living in Tokyo for all their life. So I asked uh, my kind of a sales sales director who was the most senior in, in, in the team that if you, if you could please do this uh, this time that next year I, I, I'm surely up to it but now this would be it. Uh, and then I saw that the the, uh, the rest of the team had a, a long two-hour meeting, and uh, I thought that well, it wasn't. I, I didn't think it's this difficult. But I thought well, I, I don't understand everything that's happening here. But anyhow, then uh, the next day I asked that well, what did you conclude in this meeting? Where are we going? No, no, we were just discussing that. What did you mean by not deciding yourself and delegating this question? <laughs> and uh, there I understood that this, uh, well, I have to take a completely different approach that you cannot assume uh, that that you could work with the Japanese team as you would with a Swedish team, for example. Uh, so that, that was a kind of surreal uh, situation. I thought that how how can it be a kind of a, 
uh, almost full day question which park we go to to have a cherry blossom party for five people so where did you have that how did you resolve it because when i was in japan i had a sort of a similar situation obviously different circumstances yeah. it was like i'm new in the city and, and they want to show me around and it's like okay i ask where should we go and, and the answer is always hi hi yeah and and you know it's doesn't really lead anywhere no no well uh, finally i had a chat with with the sales director and he he volunteered that well in his opinion uh, if somebody would kind of not blame him for that uh, then then uh, then th- that this one park which was just a half a kilometer from us would be a good alternative and i then uh, said that well in, the, in, the, in in our next morning meeting i will propose that <laughs> and then we lived happily ever after how does it feel like to be uh, the person everybody's looking at in the organization when you sneeze or when you look at someone or when you're tired or when you you know to where you walk or where you talk or who you look at in the meeting everything is probably not in a, in a sense of what happened in japan you know interpreted and you know there's some kind of a speculation what's happening or what, what does he mean or what he's thinking of me you know is there something you can learn by doing that? What, what are the ways to sort of? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm not very self-conscious on that, and, and, and unfortunately, I'm, I'm very blind to, to, to that issue. So, some, I, I, I don't spend very much time thinking about that, uh, and uh, I, I think people also le- learn that that's. Like I said, I'm, I'm a little bit blind for hierarchy, and, and, and this comes a little bit with the territory. So if, if I ask what, what's your opinion, the actual question is, that what's your opinion? <laughs> and <laughs> it's n- nothing else. Uh, uh, it, it, people have told me it, it takes some time to, to adjust to me, so I... <laughs> I have to I have to live with that, but uh, I haven't given that very much thought. What is the most radical thing you have done over the years? Well, radical in terms of what you can define. Usually, when when I look at something new. Uh, if we take kind of a, in, in, the, in the professional sphere, uh, I usually evaluate from, from what are the familiar parts. Uh, and in, in that sense, I haven't felt that any of, of those uh, kind of changes from, from industry or, or geographically have been that radical. But I have to say that agreeing to moving moving to Japan without having ever been there uh, would probably be considered radical <laughs> in some some book. But uh, that uh, that's probably the, the the most most radical thing. Uh, then some other person would also maybe th- think that uh, leaving a, a, an established company like Kone mid career to to work with with at that time uh, kind of a, a very small uh, 
startup scene in, in, in Helsinki. It was radical, and, and, but I had my personal reasons to, to, to do that. So I usually haven't kind of thought of it through, through that lens, more from the lens of what, what is familiar in the, in the new thing. Uh, which maybe has given a little bit comfort in, in, in moving. You mentioned you, you love to read uh, history books at least. Um, how about in business or in, in other areas of life? You know, what are the people you sort of, if not admire, but you know, you think that you, you, you have learned something and you know, maybe some hints and tips as well, you know, who do you think are the ones people should follow, or, you know, just listen or, or, or learn from them? Well, I admire very much kind of first-hand observation, uh, so that it kind of I also like myself uh, uh, kind of if if it's a fam- new thing, I like to familiarize by by walking around, looking and and, and sniffing whatever, but being really close to, to that uh, idea. When I started, for instance, here. Uh, I spent very much time uh, in, in the museum, but also uh, in, in the newsroom, which happens to be in the same building I, I work, because those were the two areas which I had never worked in before. And just and that's uh, why I also kind of like and enjoy reading and listening to people who have immersed themselves. In, in, in some something so uh, uh, kind of traditional uh, business literature leaves me a little bit cold it's 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 too distilled so uh, I, I think you can learn more for instance about the country of, of reading a, a a good novel where where the the main characters are are, are really kind of living uh, rather than than have, having uh, the how to do business in in, the, in that country. I have some difficulty in reading also biographies. It usually gets a little bit shallow. Uh, and and as I suggested earlier, I, I usually think it's anyhow a, a long team effort with maybe uh, tens or hundreds years of roots that, that kind of uh, carry this uh, hero to the goal. So in, in in that sense, I'm I'm more, more interested in in the, in the fundamentals and and immersion uh, than than, uh, than than singular individuals or or, or 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 this kind of traditional business literature. I don't know if that made sense, but uh, that was the answer. You also investing in in, in your professional capacity. What are the themes or what are the things you're looking at the moment? And, and how do you think the world will change in the next uh, you know, five, ten, maybe 20 years? Do you see that, you know, looking back the same amount of time, that, you know, it's sort of a linear or do we think that there's some discontinuities happening and, and it's harder to predict what's going to happen in the future? Uh, well, uh... I think that the the things that will be strong in in, in 15 20 years have, have already been with us for for a while uh, uh, it 
so for instance, uh, this emerging interest in in, in uh, environmental and, and and these type of issues that have have uh, increased during the last uh, few years, uh, I think will become completely mainstream. Of course, the the investment climate will be rough. Uh, we have already seen that uh, businesses have much shorter lifespans, and I don't see actually uh, very much uh, going against that. So we, we will have a very choppy uh, investment climate, with maybe the exception of, of, of certain platforms. And I would say that there probably will be some uh, almost global platforms, given that that probably this world will be break up in certain blocks uh, over the next years. Uh, but also, I would view uh, cities as as platforms for activity. So you have this kind of hub platform idea that is is valuable, and and the concrete products and the concrete services might be very short-lived. How, how to navigate that as an, uh, as an uh, investor, I think, will be increasingly uh, difficult. Uh, but uh, I think uh, ha- having a, a clear vision that it's not the, it's not the product, uh, it's the capacity to produce new and to innovate be it then a city or be it a company that is the uh, uh, fundamental value and there you come then to company culture uh, and uh, culture and and this uh, uh, ESG or sustainability issues they cannot really be detached from each other uh, at, at least not in, in here in the Nordics. So I, I think we are heading for for an environment where you have to be much more uh, pragmatic and philosophical at the same time. Uh, and it, 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 it's 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 really kind of a it's it's difficult to get a grip grip on that. But if you try to be too transactional, I think you will you will lose the good people. And uh, if you are again too philosophical, you will not have a business. So you have to have find a find a new balance uh, there. Uh, and doing this in in an environment that at least for the next uh, two to five years uh, will be low growth or worse, uh, will be very tough. Sounds like a tough um, balancing act. Does it help that if you're sitting as an investment director in a in a pension fund, having a very long perspective, or how does it differ from a 
private foundation perspective versus then uh, you know ETFs or publicly traded mutual funds or vehicles where where you know or hedge funds where you know the time the performance expectations and uh, the cycles are properly sorted yeah, I, I I think that the the kind of uh, approach has to to kind of fit your 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 inner nature. So so for a pension fund, there will be uh, pressures and 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 also concrete regulations that are, are different. But but in in our environment also, it's very difficult to. For, for instance, for a charitable foundation to have investments that would somehow be contrary to, to the fundamental idea what you try to achieve. Be, because you can't kind of invest in one way and then try to be credible in, in your, your charity uh, and, and be a completely different, uh, different person, so to speak, or have a different personality. So uh, I actually a little bit envy the hedge fund guys because they can be kind of clearly in one corner and <laughs> and just do one thing. Are there any kind of leaders in the value investment or value-driven investments uh, or, or impact investment area in the world at the moment? Well, I have tried to do a little bit research that and there are some uh, some people who, who are doing part of the things but I, I think this will be a kind of fragmented field uh, just uh, because of the nature of it uh, the investments somehow have to re- reflect uh, the culture of the organization uh as as all the other activities and uh, in in that way what is uh, uh, the good impact uh, might might kind of vary a little bit from from your vantage point and also it's one one uh, issue to be very clear that that the impact that uh, for instance we are striving for through the museum or through our uh, 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 the, the endowment side, the impact is not measured as investment income. It's, uh, we have to measure the impact of the museum in terms of does it make, uh, let's say, Finland a little bit better place in that sense that it's, it's a more open society, more conscious of, of, of culture or the impact of culture uh, and uh, if we do that right then uh, the issue of, of, uh, uh, of did we invest the money at exactly the optim- exactly the optimal way f- from from a money management standpoint is not the only impact we, we have to consider so uh, I, I think we are still in very early days in, in how to uh, address this issue and especially how to uh, think uh, the investments and uh, actual activity uh, that, that we do 
and, and, and somehow combine the impact of these. How do you get through hard times? Well, so far it's it's been by by trying to sleep, waking up in the morning, and and, and starting uh, starting with relatively good humor left uh, the day. Uh, I usually, uh, if if you get sucker punched, um, might be out for a few days. But uh, I'm, like I said, I'm a curious person and and fundamentally optimistic. So uh, I will be back. <laughs> <laughs> Super clue Terminator will be back. Yeah. Um, we've been also over 30 startups in in port member or chairperson capacity what have you learned from that journey the very fundamental thing you learn is that uh, life is not fair so uh, you, you cannot program success and and even if everything would go right you can a- anyhow end up in the wrong place and, and sometimes uh, success comes to people for all the wrong reasons so uh, in, in in that sense, I've been a little bit thinking that maybe you get more experienced, but I, I, a little bit question if you get wiser. Are you getting more cynical? <laughs> no, no, I'm not saying cynical either, but but uh, a kind of a belief in 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 that uh, uh, th- there is a. Kind of inbuilt justice in things uh, is, is is weaker than when 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 I was younger. Do you think this is regional thing? It happens in other parts of the world the same way, or is there some you know characteristics that may be different in? No, but I, I think this comes back a little bit to to the issue of of of, of the roots, because even if a startup is a young uh, young uh, uh, startup, you will have their people that have their network. You have, you will have, by some coincidence, uh, certain uh, investors, or at least a certain combination of investors. Uh, there might be uh, some coincidences in in terms of timing of of some big uh, industrial players that would be the the kind of uh, natural exit uh, for, for for a certain startup. So there is a lot of coincidence also, and, and you cannot discount that. Uh, and and even if you would have the absolutely best team with the with the best best product, but if if the context doesn't fit at just the right moment, it will not be 10, it will be seven and a half, and that won't do. So uh, I, I think uh, it's a little bit like we discussed uh, this, that uh, I managed to to get Kone into Japan. I would say it was kind of a, to a certain extent, accident. But without being proactive, we wouldn't have been able to seize the moment. So you, you need both. 
And uh, I, I think it, it's good also for the entrepreneurs knowing that it's a really high stakes game in, in, in this sense that there are many, many windows and they might be closing and, and opening uh, a little bit unreasonably uh, from, from your point of view. Uh, and, 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 and you shouldn't kind of try to over-rationalize how, how the work, uh, world works. If you are a startup founder and, and you, you're having a growth company and you're thinking that, okay, I need now more, more experience, more professional or, or different type of uh, board, What's your advice? What type of person should you look at and what sort of the mix of people and skills and expertise? Well, I, I think you need uh, different types of, of, of people in a board. And, and I would maybe more think about what culture you want to foster rather than what competencies you, you uh, the the different board members have uh, so if if you want to grow I, I I think it's good to to kind of uh, collect a board where where at least the majority of the board members are inclined to grow you, 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 it, it's very difficult to move in in the opposite direction from the board and people I think over value competence and, and undervalue culture in, in, in this respect very often because you, you are kind of impressed by, by the, the, the competence or the experience of a, of a person. But really in the, in the, in the board work, uh, the culture and, and the spirit that the person is bringing is at least as important as, as the, the, the competence. Then I think uh, there are two types of, of, of valuable uh, experience. I, I would call one, one is kind of generic, maybe myself more, more of that, that you have seen a number of things and, and you can somehow kind of relate to that, that given, given these circumstances, what are reasonable odds and, and, and give some guidance that of course you can try that, but, but I, I've seen 50 guys attempt and nobody has kind of managed to scale a ball that 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 high in that time with that budget. Uh, that's one one type of experience. Uh, then the other type I, I would say is more that you have the very detailed knowledge, I would say, of a business model which is is closed, so that you can really kind of hone in that what really brings the profitability because the generalists can't help there. They, they can just advise you that you are kind of close enough. I would say you can get, they can get you to break even, maybe, good luck. Uh, but in order to get really a profitable business model, you need people that have executed and really know the details of what makes things tick uh, when, when, when you, for instance, uh, are, are doing cloud services or, or person-to-person -person services or whatever uh, the, the kind of uh, concrete 
uh, approaches that you you have taken to the business. So I think a board should be able to advise you on both both these uh, generic things that take you to to let's say close to break even, and at least one person that who can then advise you how you actually make the EBITDA a positive and and by a margin. What is your favorite word? I, I, I have to stick with curiosity. What is your least favorite word? Uh, I like almost all words, but only is a word that usually creeps in uh, at the wrong moment. So this is the only option or we only have this or something like that. So only is usually bad news. What turns you on creatively, spiritually or emotionally? Like I said, finding the last piece of the puzzle. What turns you off? Well, kind of a Say whining negative attitude even before things have started to go wrong. What is your favorite curse word? I have to say it in Swedish. Go ahead. Fun. What sound or noise do you love? Mm. I would say kind of a a summer breeze that results in a little bit Uh, kind of uh, a little bit of uh, waves on on the water and, and 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 maybe some leaves rustling a little bit what sound or noise do you hate uh, usually drilling it doesn't my uh, i don't care if it's a dental drilling or or somebody in the in the neighboring apartment drilling something, but drilling is awful. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Mm, I knew you would ask this, so I, I thought about that, but uh, actually I have never uh, never worked uh, in my profession, my, my proper pro- profession as an engineer, so maybe I should try that sometime. <laughs> What professor would you not like to do? Well, I, I, I think I've chosen wisely not to <laughs> be an engineer. I, I would be very worried about the bridges that I would have calculated or, or the machinery <laughs> that I would have designed. So I think I'll better stick with the, the current approach. If you could be a co-founder of any startup at any era, which one would you choose? Uh, I think I would like to start something with my three sons uh, so it will be somewhere in the future do you have any last words any wise words or silly words for the audience hi and thank you <laughs> thank you stefan it's been a pleasure thanks